Out of the blue, it was just, he said, I got to share this amazing story. And honestly, I heard it and I'm like, I got to share that publicly. Amy's laughing because she knows it's an amazing story. So Amy Grillo is Lou's wife and they shared this story together before I heard it this morning. Um, Lou Grillo, um, faithfully every week, just one of those little ways that he helps out around the church quietly, unbeknownst to people. There's Lou in the back. Just say hi, Lou. There you go. All right. You know Lou as our usher, greeter, welcomer, coffee maker, all kinds of different things. But Lou is also our recycler. And uh, Lou every week comes in and he cleans out our recycle bins and he's encouraged us and we try to be green uh, in that way. And so Lou takes our recycling stuff every week and he takes it home and he puts it in his own bin, puts it out. This week he brought home a whole bunch of stuff and um, put it out to the curb. Garbage or the, the recycling truck came along and if you live in the city, you know, they grab a hold of it and they dump it in and put it back down and they move on. That's kind of how the city recycling works. Well, he noticed that there was something just kind of laying on the ground after the recycling had come. And so uh, as he went out to get his recycling can and bring it back, he looked and he saw this envelope just laying on the ground. And um, he didn't think much of it until he picked it up and he saw that there was something written on it. And it says Quizzer Pie Money. Um, and it's a $20 amount that's written on there. And uh, lo and behold, he opened it up and he found a $20 bill inside the Quizzer Pie envelope. How on earth does one envelope not make it into the recycling bin? Can we just say God is good? Amen. I just, I heard that and I was like, I got to share that. Like that is, there's only one way, like God is watching out for us. And then I, I shared that with our team over here this morning as we were praying for the service and two or three of us just shared just little small ways that we already recognized this morning. God had a hand in preparing us this morning. Uh, Olivier shared about being prompted to go a different way than they normally go to get to church. And lo and behold, the other way they normally go, I didn't know it at the time, it was closed. So he just had this prompt to go a different way and you know, just little things like that. But that one to me just kind of trumps them all, right? I mean, just how on earth does one envelope not make it to the recycling? And it actually is worth noticing. So praise the Lord. Amen. I love this uh, quote up here. You've seen it uh, quite a bit. It is the quote that's kind of driving our sermon series right now, community is the starting place for engaging in mission. As we launch into 2020, I've shared with you, like I, I do feel like 2020 is kind of a new year for us. It's a year of opportunity. It's a year to take all the investments that we've made over the last several years through our capital campaign, our building, and all that sort of stuff, the investments we've made in each other, and begin to share that and to translate that out into our world and into our community. And so you'll be hearing a little bit more about that through this sermon series. And then next week at our annual meeting, I'll share a little bit more. But really that quote right there, community is the starting place for engaging mission. And, and we need to be defining and explaining and understanding what it means to be a Christ-centered or Christian community. And when we have and fully embrace that, that will empower us and focus us 
into reaching out into our neighborhood and into our community. So from there, I think, Grant, I have a sermon PowerPoint, if you could pull it up. If you were here last week, um, I started in on this series called Life Together. And uh, last week, we looked at what distinguishes us as a community, what distinguishes us. And I said that this week we would be talking about what unites us. And what did I write up there? I said, what defines our community? In my mind, I've been going back and forth between those two, what unites us and what defines us. So what you see up here and what I'm going to walk through, um, you can interchange those terms, what unites us, what defines us, because honestly, the answer is going to be the same. And as we walk through it this morning, you'll understand that uh, with my whole heart. I'm going to walk through this as quickly as I can because I've also asked uh, Reverend Turner, hopefully he didn't leave, where'd he go? Oh, there he is, right there. All right, I've asked Reverend Turner to, uh, to share a bit of a testimony this morning. Uh, after our service last week, he and I got to talking a little bit and um, there was something, there was a way about the, the way the message hit him, kind of took him back a little bit and reminded him about some things about in his own experience with the church and the way he's come along through his journey of being a pastor in the church and relating to the church and cross-cultural experiences that he's had. And as I heard him talk, I was like, wow, like, would you be willing to share some of those thoughts with us this morning? Because I think they embody what we were trying to talk about last week and what I'm going to pick up on talking about this week. When we, when we talk about what distinguishes us or what defines us, what unites us as a church. We're looking deeply within our community to understand why church, why gathering in this place on a Sunday, why being connected to these people throughout the week, why is that different than any other social group that you could be a part of? A social group that connects you, draws you in because of an affiliation you have with them or an experience you have with them or even just the affiliation you have with your family or close friends what makes this church experience and what defines us what makes that unique and so that's what we're going to look at together i showed you earlier that the big idea that i would like for you to be embracing and hopefully you've heard that through the music that we've been singing is that scripture's biggest theme by far is that god loves us it's god's love for us now i took that from this book Grace Matters. I read this book, I was calculating back probably about 15 years now, 15 years ago. I read this book after I came back to Rochester from an experience where I had lived in Chicago for a long time. And we were settling into this church and the pastor at the time, Pastor Linda, who happens now to be the bishop um, of our Free Methodist Church, she was counseling in some ways, my wife and I and our family, just kind of giving us some space to process our experience in Chicago and some of the early experiences of our life together. And, and she was going through this book herself. She read it. She recommended it. And I read it. I, I dove into it. It was kind of a proverbial cup of cold water for me at the time. It was uh, an opportunity for me to really dig into and process a lot of my experiences for the first 12, 15 years of my life, I'd kind of forgotten about the book. And yesterday, throughout this week, my wife and I have been talking. Yesterday, my wife and went and said, I know we have this book. And she brought it to me and she said, you need to read some of the things you highlighted in here 15 years ago, <laughs> just to be an encouragement. And that quote comes from John Perkins, 
what, is, what the book is about is a guy by the name of Chris Rice and another guy by the name of Spencer Perkins. Spencer happened to be John Perkins' son. John Perkins is a well-known activist, civil rights leader from all the way back. I mean, his experience, his story is profound and overwhelming. If you read his story, being the son of sharecroppers and growing up in the South and all the things that he endured, the beatings and all the different experiences of his life, it's overwhelming. And his son, Spencer, uh, had grown up in that milieu and was was coming of age and Chris Rice this white guy from the north decided he was going to go down and try to spend a summer down in the south in Mississippi in the in the heart of uh, the community that he had been reading about and learning about and wanting to be exposed to that and he got down there thought it would be like a summer and ends up that he spent the next two decades of his life building a community with Spencer Perkins around the idea of racial reconciliation. And what would that really look like if they had to actually live it out and not just talk about it? If they actually had to live into the difficult times of understanding each other and giving each other grace for all the ways that they each kind of stepped on each other's toes and offended each other and all that kind of stuff. And, And this book kind of highlights their journey together of understanding the process of racial reconciliation. They started a community house. They moved in together. They lived together. They processed together. Eventually, they each got married. Their wives moved in, and and they had kids. And this community house was like a thing for about two decades. And it just walks through the challenges and the trials, but the process and the love that evolved because they were committed to one another on working through the difficult things that are inherent when you bring diverse people, people of different perspectives and backgrounds together. This quote comes toward the end of the book. They've gone through years and years of this. They teach conferences. This is back in the 90s. They would go around the entire United States and they would teach conferences on racial reconciliation and they would share their experiences and Toward the end of the book, they brought John and his wife, Judy, back to speak to them, to encourage them, to just kind of share with them a little bit. And John shares this story. John Perkins shares this story. He said, you know, there's been this thing that I've been wrestling with in my life for quite a while now, uh, and I'm just wondering what you guys think about it. He said, which is more important, to love God or to love your neighbor? He said that, yes, right, I get it, I get it. But he said that struggle forced him to go a little deeper into Scripture. And he says, as, I, as he combed the pages of Scripture, as he looked throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, what he was struck by was that it was not one or the other, but it was this, that it's not about loving God, It's about God's love for us. And how can we begin to even love anybody else until we have fully embraced, fully internalized, fully wrestled with the fact that we are loved by an eternal, creative God who made us in His image. And it goes on in the book, Chris Rice goes on to explain how he was in that moment after all of these years of striving and searching and struggling to figure out what the answer was to to get racial reconciliation just right. 
part of the reason I could relate to him is because he's a perfectionist and he identifies that and he was always beating himself up for the ways that he made mistakes and I could totally identify with Chris Rice throughout that book. But he said he was just undone in that moment because he said all that striving and working to try and figure it out to love other people well and to relate to other people well and all of that stuff meant nothing if he didn't understand that he was loved. And that the entire story of Scripture is about how God loves us. So that crystallized my thinking for this morning. And I'm grateful to my wife for giving me a reminder of what I've been wrestling with all week. Because the hardest thing for me in putting this message together was to communicate to you something that I have a hard time receiving myself. How can I stand up before you? I'm just one of those people that I I just can't tell you things that I don't ultimately live out myself. I'm just not that kind of a person. And sometimes, you know, you feel like you just have to say it and let God do His thing, but, but if there's any part of me that just doesn't feel quite right, I just get blocked. I just get stuck. So how do I communicate God's love to you when every day I'm struggling to receive it and struggling to process it and struggling to understand it? And then, much less, how do I take that love and begin to share it with all of you? John Perkins is right. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Let me just take you on the journey a little bit here through Scripture, right? Like John Perkins had to do to to recognize this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. God loves His world. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The psalmist says it this way, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and loving devotion For they are from age to age. Hebrews would say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the God who created us. The God who loves us. Who never changes and simply wants us to know deeply how much He loves us. So this is what I've been wrestling with, this is my own words now, of of putting into, giving you kind of an insight into how I'm working this out and striving to love God and then to love each other without receiving God's love and being completely immersed in it will leave us frustrated and clinging to visions of community that are human-centered and not God-centered. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer does a fantastic job, albeit a bit of a difficult read. He does a fantastic job right in the beginning of his book, Life Together, where he defines community and he lays out for us the challenges that we all bring because we layer on to our vision of what community should be based upon our own experiences and our own desires to connect with different people around different things. And so when we're bringing to our community our visions of what community should be, and we are failing to recognize that we are community because and only because of Jesus Christ, we get off track. We lose our way. We get mired down. We get frustrated. We begin to look at so-and-so or this and that situation, and we get frustrated. Why don't they think like I think? Or why do they do what they do? And we begin to look around, and we fail to extend grace. We fail to extend mercy. We fail to extend forgiveness. And instead what happens, we begin ever so subtly because we wouldn't ever want this to be public, but we we make judgments. We look out around and we say, shouldn't you be this way? Shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you accept this or that? And we begin to subtly put up boundaries and barriers around us that have to go back. And remember, how did I encounter Christ? Did I encounter Christ's judgment? Or did I encounter Christ's love? Did I encounter Christ's judgment or did I encounter His mercy? And did I freely live into His judgment or did I freely live into his love. God's love needs to frame our perceptions about each other. Our community says out, sorry. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. And I like that. Because I want to put the word for in there, don't you? And what Christ has done for both of us. But Bonhoeffer says no, and it was translated as the word to. Now he wrote in German, right? So it was translated as the word to, for what Christ has done to both of us. Christ worked on you. He's worked on me. And the better off will be that we can see that the work that he's doing in me is the same work he's doing in you. And when I can see you as a work in progress, when I can see me as a work in progress, but all unto the same goal of becoming like Christ, when I can see us through the lens of what Christ has done to us in transforming us, our community has much, much deeper roots. It frames our perceptions about how we relate to one another. Second thing is God's love refocuses our expectations. He would say it this way, Bonhoeffer would say it this way, those who want more than what Christ has established between us do not want Christian community. I could have stopped right there. That's enough to just process, right? They are looking for some extraordinary experiences of community that were denied them elsewhere. That's a hard truth to listen to. 
That was one of the truths I was wrestling with, was how do I communicate that? Because in some ways, it, it feels a little bit like in your face. Like if you don't agree with me, you're on the outside looking in. And, and it can come across that way. But when we see Jesus Christ first, when we are compelled and drawn to Jesus Christ and to relate to one another based on what Christ has done to us and for us, we find commonality in Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. I admit to being drawn into sensationalized mission statements, right? I admit to to working on sensationalized visions of what the world could be and how we could fix this or that and being drawn into these types of things. And in the process, my vision for what the world could be supersedes who Christ is and what He's already done. And then I seek to attract people around me to achieve the vision that I have in my head rather than seeking to be in community with people who are around me because they are just like me because of Jesus Christ. When we layer on our expectations of what a Christian community should be, and you can go through them in your head. I'm not going to list them for you. I thought about that. He gives some good examples in his book. You can wrestle with that in your small groups. But you can think about them. What is my expectation for this church? What is my expectation for my worship experience? What is my expectation for the preaching that I hear? What is my expectation for the small groups that I'm a part of? What are my expectations? And then take a step back. What is Christ's expectation? Why do we exist? Why does he call this community together if not to let us know with the encouragement of one another that he loves us? That he is drawing us to himself. That he is transforming this world and the kingdom of his world is being made bare, manifest through us. That's why we exist. It refocuses our expectations. It frames our perceptions. It refocuses our expectations. A couple quotes, and then I'll bring up Reverend Turner for a couple minutes. Chris Rice says it this way, Unless we are gripped, gripped by the fact, by that fact, and that fact is that God loves us, it's too dangerous to do anything. It's about God's action among you, or it's nothing The most important person in a community is not others, it's not me, it's Jesus. And I read that yesterday and I was like, maybe he was quoting Bonhoeffer, because let's listen to Bonhoeffer. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all of our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. That's why we exist. That's why we love. That's why we reach out. That's why we see each other as one. Nothing more, nothing less. So, these are my closing thoughts to you. 
And then I'm looking forward to hearing Reverend Turner share a couple minutes of his own experience. God's love defines, needs to define our community. And I ask you to wrestle with the question, how did you encounter God? How did you encounter God? Through an invitation, an encounter with Jesus Christ. If you know God and you are saved, you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. That is common to all of us who believe. In his love, he extended grace and mercy and forgiveness, which you embraced without fear of judgment. What we have received, we therefore freely give. Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another. Therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May we be a community that is defined by the love of Christ in us. Reverend Turner, would you come and share what's on your heart this morning? And thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and real with us this morning. So I already shared a little bit about how we thought of this morning, but I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you share, and then I'll come back and propose this in prayer. Thank you. And Scott, that's a challenge when you tell a preacher to keep it to a couple of minutes. <laughs> but... Um, First thing that came to my mind was, I hate white people. <laughs> but then, you know, I'm, thanks to Jesus Christ, I did not go that route. I wanted to start by reading from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scounding his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the God of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinful man men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want to start by just sharing a couple of stories. About a year ago I was leaving Wegmans. And I had, you know, a small bag of groceries, and um, I had was some uh, clementines. And I thought, well, I'm kind of hungry. Let me eat one of these. You know, I, I thought I was really doing something great because I was not eating a candy bar, but uh, something healthy. So I walk, and I get to my car. I'm driving my Mustang, and then this police, police officer 
drives up in front of me, comes out, knocks on my window, and says, um, I roll out my window down, I say, and he says, let me see your cash uh, receipt. I say, okay. So I give it to him, and then he says, oh, you did buy that orange. And he gives it back to me. And my first response was to get angry, you know. How dare he? But the Spirit of God has a way of just reminding us that, yes, the world saw me as a criminal and nailed me to the cross. And I flashed, and I, and I, as I thought about it, I also flashed back to when I was a 19-year-old in my first year of college at Newark College of Engineering. I had my little briefcase. I was walking down the street and thought, you know, to see my mentor. And a police officer comes up and says, you know, young man, come over here. I, I want to check your briefcase. And he looks at it. And so, you know, there's just books in there. And gives it back to me and then and drives off. In both cases, it, they did not apologize, did not even consider, you know, you know, and talk about why they did what they did. But it made me feel as if I was just a criminal. That no matter the fact that I was doing the right thing at 19, doing the right thing at 67, I still was treated the same way. What they saw was not a man who was going to college or a man was at, who was, had gone to college, gone to seminary, and had, um, again, uh, married, had three sons, and was trying to do the right thing. But all they saw was a man who might have committed a crime. But thanks be to God that he helped me and the Spirit kind of helped me to see. We have my, I always had this discussion and, to be, and God reminds me, Lynn, get over yourself. You have no right to hate anyone and only the responsibility to love everyone. And that's the challenge that we have. And I think I look at my life and there are many other cases. You know, I'm, as a young man driving down to North Carolina with my family and not being able to stop at restaurants or if, if we stop at a place to have a sign that says Negroes go to rear door. Or to go to the movie and have a, see a sign that says color section. In each of those moments, I feel like something's being taken away from me. But thanks be to God that he says to me, you are made in my image. You are made in my image. So when I look at each of you, or those of you especially who are white, I see not white, but I hopefully see that you are made in the image of God. Because if I did not have Christ in my life, I would not have married Patty. Because the world says, you don't do that. Black people don't marry white people. That's, that's 44 years ago. But yeah, that's what I understood. But, but God said, no. You are made in my image. And color does not define who you are. And it's, again, and, and yet, 
even doing so, Patty had an uncle who disowned her because of her decision to marry me. And that part of the family, she had no contact with. And so that there's a challenge. Will we build walls or will we build bridges? Because there's a temptation to build a wall because it feels safe. Rather than take the, the, the risks of going across the bridge and connecting with those who are different than yourself. The one thing that came to my mind as well is when, when you hear the, thing, the, hear the quote of Black Lives Matters, I interpret that to mean black people are made in the image of God. I think of Jesse Jackson who worked with Michael Luther King and he said, I am somebody. For me, that he's really saying, I am a creation of God. And I always wonder, do white people see me as a, made in the image of God? And sometimes it's difficult. You, know, you, you struggle with how sometimes you see how black people are treated. And it's easy to become angry and to go that route of hate rather than love. But we cannot have community unless we are willing to love. To look beyond to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we have those urges to go in a way that leads to hate, do we fix our eyes on Jesus? That's what saves me. Because it's so easy to be to hate. You know, if, and also I recommend if you want to see a movie, see Just Mercy. It will at least challenge you to begin to realize the problems that we have before are not just problems of black people. It's all people. So we all know people who, and friends maybe, or family who might not like black people. And the question is, are you willing to be part of the problem or part of the solution? By sharing that, yes, they are made in the image of God. And that's the challenge we have. Because it's in Christ. And that's right. It's Christ that allows me to be able to love the love that I love. It's in Christ, what he's done in me, that allows me to be here. And to see this as a place to worship. To be married to Patty. And to have three wonderful Sons, and then to have two wonderful granddaughters. It's because of Christ that I have a son who's you know, in a relationship with a Korean girl and another one who's married to uh, a person who's white. It's what Christ has started in me that allowed me to have a different effect on the world and to be a change agent. Not because I'm a nice guy, I'm easygoing, but what Christ has done with me has allowed me to be able to have a different impact on the world. And it doesn't always, like I, like I talked about, from 19 to 68, it doesn't always mean all the things work out smoothly. But God 
still, his will is done. And I did try to track down that police officer that year ago, tried um, to try to, to talk, to find out why did you stop me? What, what did I do to cause you to think that I stole an orange? You know, rather than just have a snack. And that's the challenge that we have, is how do we, and, and again, I talked to the lieutenant who's overseeing that area, he, and he, you know, didn't, couldn't determine who it was, but hopefully he shared it with his police officers. But the question is, how can we be part of a solution? How can we, as a community of God, break down the barriers? How can we learn in a way that we might touch those that we come in contact with? It's not, just, it's not just about being having a black friend. It's about identifying and connecting with those who are white, who need to hear the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for us. And he was considered a criminal, but yet he went to the cross for us, that we might see each other as made in the image of God. Men and women, women. And, that's, and so often we can lose sight of that. But yes, at one point I thought about hating white people, but God said, the spirit just shook me and said, Lynn, what are you thinking? You have no right to hate anyone but to love everyone because I love you. Despite all that you have done, I still love you. Thank you. I invite our worship team to come back up and get ready to sing our closing song. Um, I'm just captivated by Lynn's story. I think the thing that hit me just really deeply last week in hearing you talk, Lynn, was how much you had to sacrifice. How much to this day you have to sacrifice to hold on to that commitment to love in the way that Christ loved you. And how different that is from my own story. And how much I have to learn from you, from others. Still, to this day, how much I have to learn. And I am so grateful that you are willing to share that story. Not to make me feel better, but to actually challenge me and all of us here who are white, who don't get it, who haven't had that experience, to recognize that there's so much more road to travel to understand your story. So thank you for sharing that. going to close this time with prayer and then we're going to sing just it wasn't 
planned quite this way. In fact, it kind of came at the last minute, but more just to honor Martin Luther King holiday tomorrow and Martin Luther King himself. Uh, we are going to sing Lift Every Voice and sing kind of as a closing song today. And uh, the words remain powerful. The words remain spoken um, to generations about what God has done for us and for and, and the way he's helped the people through the trials and struggles that we, many of us, just will never know, never relate to. Heavenly Father, as we consider these words today, as we consider your love, as we consider the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, as we consider our own lives and how we have experienced you and encountered you. I just pray by the power of your spirit that you will orient us, change us, transform us from the inside out, that we might be a community that is not afraid to delve into this kind of conversation, that is not a a community that's not afraid to recognize the injustices that are all around us, that we're not afraid to live into the discomfort of having to work through it. But by the power of your grace and through your mercy, May we find our way to true reconciliation, to true hope, to true love. Certainly having to embrace forgiveness along the way. Certainly having to embrace the mistakes that inevitably I will make. But Lord, I thank you that in Christ and through your love, We can keep our perceptions framed and our expectations focused. We can allow love to define who we are. I thank you for that grace. And we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name.